Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Once again, the Business Creators Radio Show is coming to you from my sumptuous Las Vegas balcony, enjoying this delicious 119-degree dry heat. The Business Creators Radio Show, as our listeners know, has sort of a from-the-field aspect to it. Not only that, but the experience we create for you is that you're sitting in on a private mastermind session where you have two brilliant minds who bounce ideas off of each other, get inspired by each other, and you should have a pad of paper and two pens available to capture some of the aha moments that will creep up as you listen and give you the slight edge in your journeys. Today, we're going to discuss pivoting to virtual. Over the past year and change, we have seen this shift to doing things virtual. Things that we thought that there's no way we could ever do virtually, we're doing virtually. It started with business meetings. Then it went to full-blown seminars. Then it went to music concerts. Then it went to magic shows. And to share with us on the magic shows, among other things, we have with us Daniel Chan. This is going to be a unique episode, a little bit of a change of pace episode. Daniel is a man who has seen so much of the world. He has some incredible stories for us. So this is one you're just going to get to enjoy and get inspired by. Just tell you a little bit about him. Daniel is fairly well known to the media as BuzzFeed did a full feature profile on him and dubbed him Silicon Valley's favorite magician. He's been featured on ABC, Bay Area Backroads, Radio Disney, The Wall Street Journal, The Hustle, among others. If that wasn't enough, Business Insider and CNBC featured him recently, twice in 2020. There's a fantastic episode on Business Insider about Daniel's journey to pivoting to Zoom and pursuing his work with magic. And with that, Daniel Chan, come on in. The weather's fine. Thank you, Adam. Thanks for having me. All right. So normally what we do here is we ask our guests to take us on a bit of a journey down memory lane and share with us in their own words what has brought them to where they are today, serving from their intersection of their brilliance and their passion. You can tell us that if you want to, but there's one thing that we really want to get into, and I know you're dying to share this with me. I heard you perform with your family, including your son. So tell us about that as you lead into the main question. Yeah, absolutely. I perform with my son who at age five was juggling three balls. By age eight, he was juggling five balls. By age 10, he was picking pockets and even juggling three flaming torches. Um, by the time he was 12, he was on national television twice performing on Kids Say the Darndest Things uh, with a major illusion with Tiffany Haddish. He also was on Access Insider performing for Penn and Teller. So I'm a real proud father. I started off in Silicon Valley at PayPal pre-IPO, 
before wow. Elon Musk even joined PayPal because he started a company called X.com, which later merged with PayPal. So technically right. I was at PayPal before him because uh, Confinity PayPal had that name. So that is what the, one of the last and most recent Business Insider articles was about me working at PayPal. What was that like working at PayPal pre-IPO? It was cool. At the same time, it was boring. We had uh, video games, table tennis. We had catered lunches. Uh, when the X-Men movie debuted, we even rented out the entire theater uh, and we watched the X-Men movie as well as we were gifted X-Men t-shirts. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And I got to ask, uh, you've met Elon? Yeah, I've met him, uh, you know, in the office because the office was really small. I think when I was at PayPal, I was like within the first first hundred employees. So it, PayPal was so small, it, we'd bump into each other all the time. Okay. What I don't know like? if he remembers me, however, <laughs> because one thing I realized is I did not understand the power of networking and also how to approach networking. And when you're young, you don't have the, you might not have those soft skills. If I knew where everyone else was going to go, starting companies like um, Yelp and YouTube and many of the other companies that these guys from the PayPal mafia started, I would have kept in touch and they would probably answer my phone calls. Wow. Okay. So right now, currently, you work full time as a magician. In fact, I've seen you in the media known as the millionaire's mentalist. What brought us to that point? Well, um, I look at things from a blue ocean strategy. And for those of you who aren't uh, familiar, it's just going to these oceans where you're not creating competition that cannibalizes each other. You wanna go into new markets. And the way that I did that was, I'm one of the few magician who's probably been on 50 plus podcasts. And I work by finding my prospects on LinkedIn and other places where most magicians have other ways of finding it, but I deliberately go to other mediums to find these um, places. And I thought that, I, I one, I heard um, a magician, Steve Cohen out of New York, call himself the millionaire's magician. And then at one time I'm like, I'm gonna top that. I'm gonna be the billionaire's magician. And that's actually what Business Insider dubbed me. Um, I talked about parties where they would have 400 pound tigers, kids birthday parties where they would spend well over a quarter of a million dollars on, on like a seven or eight year old kids birthday parties in the Silicon Valley. Wow. And those were the type of parties I did. So a couple of parties, you'd get $1,000 tips. Those weren't out of the norm. I mean, that's not all the time, but when those happen, you realize that you are in a different league. And I do have quite a few billionaire clients, including um, the clients who have uh, been to Sun Valley, Idaho. About two or three weeks ago, Allen and Company did a, the Media Mogul conference where they have in the past Oprah Winfrey, Phil Knight, a, a CEO of Nike, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett. And um, early in my career, I performed at that Allen and Company uh, conference of millionaires and billionaires and media moguls. Wow. That I got to tell you that that's something. So did you get to pet the tigers? 
<laughs> no, but I did pet, I believe that crocodile or alligator, they actually had one on a table. I don't, and it, believe it or not, I was like, what the hell are they doing there? That um, we saw three camels, penguins, leopards, uh, leopards on leashes, macaws, bald eagles, insane amount of things. I almost got everything from A to Z, from a armadillo and alligator to um, to zebras. A bald eagle. You know, those birds are kind of mean. You know, I believe that one was injured, so it couldn't fly away. So when they get injured, they get put up to anyone who will take care of them, and that has a license. So this was um, a reserve sort of place, and they have a special operations permit to have these animals. Honestly, you're not allowed to have these animals, uh, nor are you, can you rent them or anything, but this was a, through a nonprofit. Yeah, I looked into getting a pet tiger for my apartment. It just wasn't working out. <laughs> yeah, here, yeah, yeah. Uh, in your part of the world, uh, you know, you hear stories about people are just hanging out in their yards and bears show up. Well, we're starting to see here in Las Vegas these cougars. They're coming down from the mountains. Uh, the cougar is the largest cat that meows and purrs. I thought you were talking about other types of cougars from the <laughs> and perhaps and perhaps it's the case with them too. <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah yeah the uh, the cougar the mountain lion the puma is the largest cat that meows and purrs. And if you encounter one, you're basically SOL. I believe it. Yep. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. So you know one of the things that intrigued me about having you on this show, because we, again, we're looking for that slight edge for our listeners, is you have a very impressive media list. I've got to say, of the over 500 guests we've had since 2013, you probably have the most media attention, current media attention, that's actual media attention, not just a little quote or not just paid space, but actually articles and legacy media that's about you that I've seen. So we have Business Insider, we have CNBC, uh, who interviewed you twice alone within the past year. How do you pull all this off? You develop relationships with um, the journalist. Uh, one big tip is um, segment producer. If you're on LinkedIn, you can search that term, segment producer, and uh, you can find people who book these spots on television. Um, start clicking likes on people's Twitter. For example, I get a lot of people trying to pick my brain and often I don't respond, but when they start jumping in and chiming in and saying great video or clicking likes on lots of my posts, I can actually see that. And those are the things that I do for journalists. And I started realizing it's not about asking for the attention, it's about giving back first. When I approach a media outlet, I first have a hook, but I also will say, I thought your viewers would be interested in hearing this, or I thought your readers would be interested, as opposed to starting off with, I did X, or I did this. It, there's always gonna be a spot for that, but when you frame it with a little bit of a softer cell, it gives them room. When you're looking up people on LinkedIn, there's different levels that you can approach. Right now, I could put in my signature bar one of those Business Insider or BuzzFeed links, and that will in instantly tell my story, but also that gives me credibility. 
before right. I had these links because I, I I started last year with only one major media mention, which was my BuzzFeed article that was in 2016. It went semi-viral. I was picking people's pockets and hacking into iPhones, which really pretty much cemented my corporate career, changing me from like 50-50, half the time I would do kids events. Still, I'll do a kids event, but you got to pay me a ton of money to you know do little johnny's birthday party because it's just i have so much demand that um i i I pretty much book out my son my son uh, this last week he did two or three events at the 250 dollar mark of over zoom to do a kids an event for a a summer camp so those are things that you do you always try to find places for people to replace you and outsource what do you mean by what do you mean by that? Don't worry about people leaving. Like, what happens if I train them and they leave? Yeah. And the quote response was, "What happens if you don't train them and they stay?" Oh yeah, yeah, that's a that's a big thing. So here's what I want to do now. I need to interject something here because you shared about some of your tactics for getting these major media, legacy media, mainstream media appearances, whatever term that our listeners prefer to apply to it based on whatever their own truth is. In my work, in my work, most of what I do is I work with businesses and entrepreneurial ventures to help them launch their business podcasts as their primary networking client attraction, celebrity expert branding tool. So our version of podcast marketing focuses a little less on an obsession with listeners and downloads and and uh, influencers and things like that. And it's more focused on really what you said. So I want to highlight a few things. So I'm going to share this with my podcasting tribe as well as my Business Creators Institute tribe. Uh, first of all, I love how you go to LinkedIn and you do the targeted searches. So you're already being intentional with how you recruit people. That's what we did when we built our Everything Podcasting group on Facebook. And I also like the messaging. You lead with service. You lead with uh, how can I be of service to your listeners? How would this benefit your listeners, your readers, your viewers? All too often as a podcast host, I get pitches where the person just goes on and on and on and on about themselves. And it's like, okay, that's good. But what does that have to do with my show? And now let's look at one of the modalities that we use for when we work with entrepreneurs to launch and manage your podcast, which is using it as the mechanism for opening conversations that lead to closed deals, expanded relationships, and broadening their network. Daniel, you spend a lot of time on social media and you've mentioned that people message you, they connect with you, and then they blast you with DMs. And a lot of it comes from, I want to pick your brain. Is that what you said? That that happens um, not as often now, but it, it still occasionally happens, yes. Right. You also get the ones where they lead by saying, hey, Daniel, nice to connect with you. And then they go on and on and on about themselves. And, they, and then they end it with, hey, uh, any chance we could hop on a Zoom real quick and chat? Which is, which is usually marketing speak for, hey, I want to tell you what I'm doing and hope you volunteer yourself as a client. You ever get any of those? Yeah, in fact, I used to send those, but I actually found that if I offered to show them a free magic trick over Zoom, people would get intrigued and I would show them a sample 
of what it would look like. I'd link to a YouTube video and I said, um, if you want to see something even better, give me a call. But with that, I knew that they would be like, oh my gosh, I have this great video of this guy freaking out like David Blaine style. And he's uh-huh. just over the top like and this is not like stooge or anything i'm just doing this demo card that i recorded and i lead with that but i say why don't you jump on a call and i started giving out free samples at the beginning of the pandemic because i really wasn't working so i was like i gotta hone this out i gotta get good at it i probably gave away 20 or 30 demos before i felt boy this is a really cool new medium and that's why i'm here is i've not only am I giving value, I believe that one or two people here will probably end up looking to see what it's like at a Zoom show. And after that, they're more than free to pick my brain on marketing. Right. <laughs> see, there's a give and take. Right. And often when people have either showed up to one of my live shows and they make an ask afterwards, it's just the thing to do to give back a little bit extra. Yeah, so... So you lead from a place of service and it's focused on giving and reciprocity. I absolutely love it. And, you know, I get all those cold DMs all the time. It's like, like I, I have somebody right now who keeps sending me DMs day after day after day. And I know they're copy pasting them from some notepad where they're manufacturing a conversation where they say that they saw my work with coaching and want to know what kind of coaching I do. Then the next day is, I love your stuff about coaching. Can we chat about it? Okay, I don't really talk about coaching. So you know that's what? kind of a, that's uh, that's 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 uh, I I get what they're doing. They're trying to mass produce conversations, but they weren't really looking. I don't really I mean I do coaching with my top VIP clients of the Business Creators Institute and I do it with my VIPs in the podcast reach system. There is some coaching involved with that, but I'm not a coach per se. I'm not a life coach, I'm not a business coach if i'm anything i'm more of a consultant i'm more of a sensei yeah and and here's one thing you can get them to do uh, with you and this is something that i just tried recently i'm not sure if it would work in all aspects but you can say love that you would connect um if you would like more join my mailing list or you can also say feel free to engage with me more on social media i do accept friend requests with people i get to know so feel free to comment on any of my recent posts and then post your Twitter or Instagram and get them to boost your engagement. And if they've actually yeah. do a job of like commenting a little bit more then accept their friend request, but make it so that there's a step for them to get into your inner circle, even though it's free, they're helping you market in this Facebook and Instagram algorithm, which will push you up to the top. I, I, a lot of times it used to be measured by likes but right now, it doesn't matter if someone clicks like because there's Facebook has quickly realized in order to um, get rid of the spammers, uh, we, we in this uh, magic group have this thing where these guys always jump on and they'd say, put um, one phrase, the same phrase in the chat bar and I'm, I'll send you a DM with this thing, which pretty much puts you into their sales funnel. Right. And Facebook just knows that that happens. So it actually starts pushing down the engagement and reach if they only see that one comment. And people don't know that. So you have to create authentic conversations. And what I like to tell people, I'm going to take a step back for you guys, because 
when people are pitching often they're looking hey i want to get on television or the end goal but i will tell you i'm a big writer on quora then i started on podcast then video then television and there is a very specific reason why i started with writing podcasting video content than television you can this ramble is. on very easily on a podcast oh yeah <laughs> and people do that all the time but if you write it down you have at least a little bit of a structure and you want to hone your writing down so you're constantly writing every day so you're framing it and when you see really good writing you don't copy it you ask yourself why does this resonate with me once you get dial down and you can find your voice written you want to translate that next to the podcast medium because you might not like the way you sound which i did not in the very beginning i was very self-conscious i would have yeah. these speech patterns and i noticed this thing about elon and myself and some other really great thinkers is they're thinking 100 miles per hour and they also do that sometimes when they're on podcasts yep then they just sound like they're, you know, they're brilliant, but half the time their ideas come out half-baked because you need enough time to hone those ideas out and you cannot rush things. After you are yeah. satisfied with the way that you sound on a podcast, you move to video and you produce your own video. Instead of doing a podcast, you do a video podcast where you can connect with people and see them in their studio. You can ask more questions. You can say, oh, I noticed a picture behind you. And you can really come to relate to them because you see them in their house and their workspace, which is something that we didn't have regularly before this pandemic. Most of us didn't jump on video calls. Now right. I close so many deals over Zoom. And the last thing is when you're really good at being on video, you can shoot off short clips of yourself doing highlights and a segment producer or a television producer typically won't want to watch your whole nine minute interview that you're on television they just want to see the highlights so make a distill it down to the most important points and i have several videos that you can look at on my youtube channel which are a lot shorter that introduce me and people are like oh you didn't even do anything magicians used to say oh you didn't even do anything on that it just looks way too promotionally i'm telling them if they want to see more they're going to ask for more but you don't want you want to leave them with wanting more as opposed to right. overwhelm them yeah uh that's one of the challenges that we sometimes have with this particular show because it's an hour-long show it's the this the private mastermind type format is if things tend to ramble on a bit and i find it very interesting the way you went through that progression you started with writing and that's actually something that i now that you mention it now that you mention it has helped me when i designed the podcast reach system and the marketing around it i started by writing a bunch of blog posts and what I found is I wrote more and more and more and more. When I spoke about it, it was easier for me to easily access my talking points with fewer, with fewer verbal pauses and less rambling because I was used to writing it, I was used to seeing it, and I was used to reading it. Yeah, and that is the thing that I realized yesterday. Um, well, in the past, but I started really honing on it, uh, honing down on this. 
I had this thing that was a, thir a 30 to 60 second clip for a video project that I did. And I filmed it so many times. My family was like, boy, you guys are doing this way too long. And I was like, hey, I want to do this eventually on national television. I want to do this sort of thing with a huge reach. So it's like how I practice a magic trick. You know, yeah. when I practice a magic trick, I'm doing it minimum 100 times. So for me to do a voiceover or um, audio 100 times, that's just the bare minimum, I would say. But a lot of people don't approach it that way. And that's the reason why they don't have the success. And you can cut that learning curve down if you hire a coach like yourself, Adam. People like, you know, for you, you could just be a resounding um, sounding board that people yeah. can just throw you ideas and you can just say, hey, cut this out, lean into this one aspect. A lot of times you'll only need one key thing to get your foot in the door. And that's what I've been helping a lot of my friends do is telling them what part of the story will get the, re the reporter opening the door. And sometimes it's like, duh, it's like so simple. But to be honest, it's success is really simple but people try to overcomplicate it yeah well there is there is that and you may have heard the analogy of the roast that was put in a pan and had the ends cut off you ever heard of that one yep okay so i'll say it for our listeners just in case they haven't heard any of the other shows you have a man and he notices his wife is preparing the roast she cuts off the two ends of the roast and puts it in the pan to begin roasting it he wants to know why she cuts off the end of the roast. And she says, well, my mom always cut off the ends of the roast. And she said that it helped get the juices through, makes it more flavorful, and it just makes for a better roast. Well, a couple of weeks later, he goes to see his mother-in-law and he asks his mother-in-law. And the mother-in-law says the same thing. She says, yeah, well, my mom used to cut the ends off the roast too. And she said it made it more flavorful and it made for a better roast. And that's why I do it. That's what my mother taught me. Well, son of a gun. If his grandmother-in-law wasn't 94 years old, still alive and kicking and spitting vinegar. So Thanksgiving comes around. He sees his grandmother-in-law. And he asks the grandmother-in-law about the whole thing with cutting off the ends of the roast. She says, son, during the Depression, we couldn't afford a pan big enough, so we cut off the ends of the roast. I just told the kids that so they didn't know we, they wouldn't realize we were poor. Yeah. And when we fail to look at the origins of certain things, that's where some of the complication comes in because we believe that it's this big, ponderous, agonizing thing, and it doesn't have to be. In your case, part what I'm hearing is part of your secret to success is sheer repetition. Absolutely. Sheer repetition and also thinking through things. Like, for example, I asked myself, why podcasts and why not video? And if video, why? And I believe that the next trend isn't just short form videos. It's I believe that people from larger agencies like CNBC and uh, will be sourcing their journalists and reporters from TikTok. Because those personalities there, they can act and they can do something short. They can definitely do something longer. It's just they don't have the opportunity to. So I, I feel like this podcast that it's going to run its turn because I think podcast is very easy for people to do. And that's why it's really saturated. Do things that are really hard. And I've been encouraging more people to not only do podcasts, but do videos because you're going to have to 
edit videos and you can hire some guy on freelancer.com and they can chop it up for you. But often it's cheaper and easier because there are mediums. But I believe that the next platform will be video. I also understand why Clubhouse is taking off, but also the limitations of Clubhouse. And you've, you've probably been on Clubhouse, right, Adam? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I believe the reason why Clubhouse is going to close to replace the radio is because people want to be heard. They want a two-way experience. However, you can't do that with radio because you have a radio operator who has to accept it. And then it becomes very commercial. So it, uh, Clubhouse is going to start to get commercial and there's going to be a lot of things. But I, I believe that the market share is going to disappear from radio and move toward Clubhouse and uh, Twitter, these rooms. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a slow death because there's no one with uh, a def definite strategic advantage. Although if anyone from those platforms uh, hears this, I do have some uh, very useful feedback. And in fact, I gave some feedback in some early companies I'm now a part of where I was granted IPO shares of stock just because uh -huh. of my early contributions to these platforms. Wow. This is the first time I've heard this. And it kind of makes sense. See, with Clubhouse, I don't go on there every day. I'm not one of those people that has earphones in my ears 24-7, constantly dialed on to Clubhouse, waiting for some guru to tell me some million-dollar idea. Because I believe that what you're going to get for free from some guru is that uh, – the harder you work, the luckier you get. And if you want to get there faster, pay me. That's just my personal view. But what I do like about Clubhouse, this is one of the reasons I do participate in it. I mostly go into rooms that are hosted by friends and colleagues of mine. And when I go in a room, my intention is to raise my hand and be brought on stage and contribute. So I focus on rooms. I focus on areas of Clubhouse where I'm likely to get selected to be on stage because I want to be in that giving place. And just as you said, I, I've called into radio shows before and I've gotten through a couple times. And then when you finally get through and it's sometimes a surprise, they don't tell you you're going through. Next thing you know, you realize you're on the air. You get about four seconds to say something and then the host cuts you off and twists your words to make it fit your agenda. With Clubhouse, you can actually get out a complete sentence. Yeah, I, absolutely. Yeah, that's part of what I like about that now another interesting thing about podcasts and we see that so many podcasts have taken a video form in fact with our reach system we coach our well for lack of a better word coach our students through creating video versions of their show if they choose to do so they can either have the video with the talking heads or they can take their audio and put it on top of a static image, render it in Camtasia, and put that up on YouTube, and you see some of those. But yes, what I like to point out to people is that podcasting, by its own definition, is an audio medium. And the fact that there's a video component to it at all is actually a form of bastardization. So I love how you point out that podcasting and video are actually two different things. Yeah. And what I do, uh, what I've been doing in some podcasts is I show the host a magic effect. And then 
then they drive traffic to their YouTube channel because a lot of people are so comfortable doing something one way that they don't realize that things are changing. So even if you decide that you don't want to do something, you might want to just say, hey, I'm going to do one episode and it has to make sense. Like, for example, magic, you can't you have to see magic yeah. via video, but that's just a good excuse to grow a channel. But often people are saying, oh, I don't I don't do this or this is not the way it works. And um I think that I don't do Clubhouse, to be honest with you. I think it's ridiculous that they have we have these silent rooms that you, you, you some people jump into for networking where the audio is off. I mean, I could be surfing LinkedIn or I could be surfing other things online, but I think some people, and I'm pretty sure that you'll, you'll probably note one or two people doing this is they just turn on their clubhouse hoping that someone will pick them up or or uh yeah. you know, read their bio and like they're gonna win the lucky lottery and to me that's like a total waste of bandwidth because that's i don't even just... pretend i don't even pretend as i said if i'm on clubhouse because i'm there because a friend of mine is hosting a room yeah that's and and it's by invitation i don't go there just to lurk and i don't go there just to snoop i don't participate in the room search or anything like that i'm there for a reason yeah. And I'm not on it 14 hours a day. I might be on it 14 hours a month. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's going to be something in there, but I don't think that they found their pivot. I honestly think that um, they are on shaky ground because there's nothing, there's no defining advantage to say if Facebook would come up with their own solution that I don't think it could be replicated with a, t uh, a technical team as smart as Facebook. I, honestly, um, they they probably should get bought out and hope for the best. Otherwise, I think that um, something like that could have a you know a, a tanking share price because they really don't have a competitive advantage. And in business, you look you talk about strength, weakness, opportunities, and threats. And you also learn about Porter's five forces. So. If you analyze their strengths and weaknesses, you realize that there's not a lot of things keeping people there. And in fact, it is almost like a task to keep a room running because once you get this momentum, you have to have someone watching your room and handing it over. Otherwise, you close the room out and you just have to schedule it. And it's almost like a TV show that people are showing up to. To me, it feels like it's a lot of effort for very little payoff, but I could be wrong. There's probably other people with case studies that that can prove it. And I, I'm pretty much a skeptic and a late adopter, but you need those people because those are the people who are who serve a bigger interest. But there's also other people who are risk takers and innovators and investors earlier on. I'm a late stage investor for the most part. Yeah, I see what you mean. So yeah. what I'd like to do now is... Uh, and again, this is so much more than I expected from our time together. I wasn't expecting uh, basically media training from you, so this is amazing. Uh, first off, uh, next thing I want to next thing I want to get into is I want to kind of go back to one of the original reasons we decided to meet together and get more of your insights about how you took something that up until a year and change ago was viewed as something that really is almost something you have to see in person, like doing magic and we're able to create a virtual version of that and make a prosperous business out of that. Yeah. Um, there are certain things that I do 
that can that are actually done better on Zoom than live, believe it or not. Okay. Like if I'm showing a small trick, I usually could only do it close up for 10, 15 people. But now my tricks that are small, that are really intricate in sleight of hand, I could do it for 200 plus people. And yeah. to me, a small trick playing big means massive scale. It changes that dynamic of one, your reach to the profitability of investing more time in something and honing some script that used to, to be, to me, be a throwaway. I actually started just doing the trick better and better and better because of the number of repetitions I would do it. Now, think about this. I don't have to drive an hour to the event. I don't need to arrive an hour early to set up. I don't need to mingle because often you feel like before you leave the party, you have to network. When I'm doing these Zoom shows, I'm out of there in 45 minutes. And, it, and, and I'm also giving to my clients more, most importantly, more value. And I should lead with that, not like what, what's in it for me. I, should, I made the mistake of saying, what, what, what am I getting? But to be very, very honest with you, companies like Salesforce, LinkedIn, Lyft, um, Netflix, uh, Google, and Facebook, all these companies probably hired me half a dozen times each. They have teams that are distributed all around the world. Teams in New York, San Francisco, and in Europe. I did this thing for Twitter, a global conference. And yeah, these people, they typically just jump on a call and it's boring. And they do this day in and day out. Some of these companies are realizing virtual entertainment is actually really good now. It just a year out. At first, they were just kind of toying with this idea just to make it fun. And we were also toying at these low price points. But we started realizing how massive the value is. And after 400 shows, I've really honed things out. And I started thinking, when most people are going to go back to in-person, I'm going to fight to stay on Zoom because... I'm doing things for congressmen. I'm having wider reach. Yeah, if you want to pay me double or triple my old rates, yeah, I'll show up in person. But the thing is, you can do so much more. I, I used to charge an extra $500 or $1,000 just for a levitation to float. Now I can do that same levitation, no additional cost, just because it's in my house and I don't have to move things around. Imagine that. Things that Copperfield or large magicians could only do in their own space. We now all have our own space we can do it from, the ones that invested early. And I tell people, it's like building a house when you're making a business. You build the house, then you sell the house. Some people are yeah, trying yeah. to build the house and leave, live in the house at the same time, and they don't want to invest in themselves. You've got to not be cheap and invest in a coach find someone who's done what you uh, want to do find someone who can give you insights and who's passionate and most importantly who believes in you because half of what i learned was by people who really truly believed in myself i had a lot of family members say no oh you can't do this or i would never pay you a dollar for what you did and that was just surrounding me i just had find people who truly truly believe in you and that's yeah. going to help you get to that next level and you and you also don't want to find the guy who's just blowing smoke up your ass 
If you find those guys, they'll say anything to get your money. And you just have to say, hey, what would it look like? Uh, what does the end goal look like for you? And do you believe you can do it? Because if you don't believe you can get there, you're not going to give it 100%. You're going to do 80%. And when everyone else is giving 100%, when you're giving 80, they're going to pick the guy giving 100. So it's really super important that sometimes you have to burn the boats behind you. There's this thing I th think I heard from Anthony Robbins or some early guru 20 years ago. When they would go into war, they would set fire to the boat so that there would be no retreat. Yep, that, uh, you, what you may actually be referring to is when, I mean, they did that in wars, but they also did that when you had explorers who were, who were taking to the new world and they would go to the, they would go to the, uh, the new lands and rather than turn back, they would just burn the boats and say, no, no, we're here, we're, we're settling down. Yeah. And you, and, and a lot of the things that I say to people, it seems obvious, but there's always one little thing that, we, that as a mentor, we, we hone in on. Like, for example, like half the tricks, people can say how part of it do, is done and then they just can't do it. And the big part is being able to do the effect and execute on it. Most people just say, oh, think, oh, it's a magic formula. It's kind of like you can see from the outside, I know how it works, but really you need the coaching one-on-one -on -one to be a magician or to really take your marketing to the next level. But you can't, it's so hard nowadays when we have so many guys who are faking it or really don't have the success in that one aspect. And you see all these gurus being exposed. So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting how we as a society, especially in America, want the credit before we put in the hard work, Yeah. before they feel the amount of grinds. And I, and I tell people, what, if you want to be a magician, if you can start out on the streets and you can survive for a month, you can probably do whatever you want if you can work on the streets and do decent and you also aren't like, you know, like homeless or you give this smelly vibe because there are street magicians who never get past that stage. But right. in terms of grit and staying with it, I tell people go to the streets and do two weeks and show me film of what you're doing. Then go into a restaurant and hustle at a restaurant, get a free meal and tips and $50 for you know one, two or three hours. And those are the people who really earn my respect because they're hustlers and they are people who give value first. And that is exactly how I started my career 20 years ago. When people approach me and say, I want to do corporate events, I ask them, um, come, come with me and do some street performing or uh, bring, you know, go with me um, to the streets or a restaurant. And they all say no. And I, I say, good luck. You might be uh, one of those guys who can get away with it, but for me, that's where I started and that's where I start everyone off. And that's a real telltale thing. There's other people who have other ways of doing it. Like, for example, you can go on America's Got Talent. And for example, if you knock that one out of the ballpark and use that as a promo reel, that's a different level that opens up to you. Or you go on Penn and Teller Fool Us. Right. But if you can get that, more power to you. Right now, you know, 20 years ago when I started, Penn and Teller didn't even have Fool Us. You know, so wow. there are shortcuts, but you still can use a coach to navigate you 
past these, you know, road bumps. And that is a very, very important part is you can learn from the mistakes. I'm not going to tell everyone how I did, you know, a lot of what I'm doing. They're going to have to pay between a thousand to ten thousand dollars to learn a couple of these shortcuts and i offer everyone a money back guarantee if they're not happy with what they see you know i i, I give them everything back but i i show them enough where they're like hey if you're in beyond this point you're in and then you you, you set you set a disclaimer but you give them a free sample and you get them in the door and you find out if that's the person you want to work with yeah now, there's something else you mentioned to me earlier. Um, you mentioned that you're a stagier or stage. So what is that um, if we haven't already covered it? And why did you end up staging? And how does that even fit into what you're doing? Okay. I am a stage. Uh, it's pronounced S-T-A-J. And it's spelled S-T-A-G-E, st uh, stage or stage. I learn um, something French. every day. Uh, I worked in some of the world's top Michelin rated restaurants. Currently, I'm trying to find investors for a project and I invest in a lot of things on WeFunder. I've invested in Republic and many other companies, but even guys who um, invest, they um, need public support. If you didn't even um, know Bill Gates, when he founded Microsoft, he didn't need the IPO money or he didn't need the seed founding, but he knew that those people investing in him would lead to other things. So he, a lot of times people uh, find investors for strategy. I worked at Daniel, if you're speaking, I can't hear you. Um, for very short periods of times, I work. Can you still hear me now? Okay. Um, My internet connection is unstable. Yeah. Here's Let me start gonna, over. Here's what we're going to do. Um, pause for like 15 seconds and then speak. And I'll just alert my editor. There's a problem and she'll find it. Yeah. I worked at several restaurants, including Petit Crenn, Lazy Bear, Qua, Californios, and even a restaurant in Germany. I built relationships with these chefs and creators, and I found out what happens behind the scenes. At one time, I even created a dinner show experience that we did pop-ups in uh, with partnerships with these restaurants. In 2013, I started those at BayAreaDinnerShow.com. Now, I want to actually have my own experience. Uh, just recently, we ran a pop-up experience where I made a dove appear, and you can see that on my TikTok, Millionaire's Mentalist. Then I served up live Dove to my patrons. To be wow. honest, not a lot of people were fans of that. So I axed that part. So don't call me, <laughs> don't, don't, don't uh, protest and don't, don't get all worked up about that. I, I eliminated that part because of feedback. But now I produce the Dove, I make the Dove lay an egg and then I serve um, what we call a sous vide egg. And the sous vide egg, uh, if you don't know much about sous vide, it, if you cook it at a specific temperature, I like mine at 145, my son loves his at 141, but even if you cook it for like five hours or 10 hours, the consistency still stays the same. You cannot overcook right. it. And that is one thing that I love about um, 
these uh, sous vide eggs and I have a simple recipe. I have uh, several variations of this and this is what I'm working on next. It's called a trick and a treat. You see some magic and you also get a small treat. Uh, after we rotate this out, we're going to eventually do a magic in a meal where you get like a full a five to seven course meal with the magic and it's going to be an experience and then we're going to start planting these roots down and um, finding investors to have a physical venue but i really believe in what we call pop-up experiences to see what you're doing and gain traction if you're doing this day to day and you're doing a restaurant five to seven days a week you really don't have the time to change or modify the menu unless you've got a team under the, you that you trust. But in the beginning, you want to pivot and pivot fast. And I believe that culture really is going forward into restaurant um, culture. Yeah, that's that's really awesome, man. So I love I love how you're laying this all out. So uh, just overall, as we wrap up here, I just have uh, two more questions here. First of all, um, just general question what's it like being a magician i crash parties for a living i've met people <laughs> like the founders of google the ceo of yahoo timothy ferris a very well-known podcaster has hired me four times for his uh events where he's even had paula abdul so uh you just have to Travel the world, uh, a lot of it happens locally in the beginning, but uh, as a magician, you meet celebrities. I've met Jerry Rice, Yao Ming. I performed for Draymond Green's son's first birthday party. And I've performed for a lot of tech executives' birthday parties. And every day is a party, and I, I do not take it lightly because people are inviting their best friends and family members, sometimes college mates that they haven't seen for years to invite me to their weddings to entertain them and it's my job at weddings not to steal the show those are some of the more difficult scenarios because you can do comedy and you can be cheesy at um most parties but when you're at someone's wedding they want pure sophistication and they want you to blend in and not take over the wedding um it, I, I sometimes go to product launches and trade shows it is absolutely a blast and you know my client list adobe airbnb bank of america BitTorrent, charles schwab disney east west bank ebay it's from a to z from airbnb to uh zumingo zillow and zuckerberg general hospital those are all clients that have hired me so uh, quite often i've met the ceos of these companies and it and it's just a who's who and I feel like I'm living the life but that's when I started playing big and swinging for the fences but every origin you have to start small grab that low-hanging fruit and reverse engineer success with the end in mind if you not if you do not believe you can do it you cannot do it if you don't believe it it's not going to happen but you also have to have the verbal skills and the soft skills and how to create a strategy. Often people just have one missing component and they have to take one step back either to learn how to write a little bit better or to craft a pitch or something else. And that's where a coach who talks to you and identifies a weak point. I don't do a lot of coaching. I do this mainly for fun because I make so much off corporate, corporate clients, but I felt that Later on, that if you reach the mountaintop 
it's your responsibility to throw down a rope. I read that somewhere and I, I saw people that were helped me and I asked, what can I do to pay you back? What can I do? And these guys were way wealthier than me, but they were like, Dan, you're very respectful. I love the fact that you offered to pay for my coffee. You know, like I would offer to pay for people's coffee and I would buy them a steak dinner, anything to get in the door. And sometimes people would say, hey, that was very cool of you. Most people don't pick my brain like that. They just ask. And I'm like, oh, I'm sure thing. I was told, just offer to buy someone a coffee. If you're going to stop them in line, go ahead and do that. Like if you're at a conference, walk up to them and say, hey, would you like a, co a coffee? Would you like a drink at a bar? Or would you like something? And make that give first. And that's going to open up a lot of doors. Someone's going to give you feedback in half the time. You might want to reject it, but think about the feedback that they're giving you. And often they might have that solution that you're looking for. Wow. See, this is all really profound stuff. And, I, uh, and I'm so grateful to you for uh, making the time for us to share. So finally, as we wrap up here, how can people learn more about this amazing journey? Yeah, I am on humanipo.com. Uh, I, can, I can have you post that. Uh, I'm at Dan Chan Magic and Millionaire's Mentalist. Uh, com. Millionaire's Mentalist is um, my virtual shows. Dan Chan Magic is my local uh, Bay Area shows, which I'm kind of phasing out. And then a Bay Area dinner show is is pretty much my work in progress where I'm looking for uh, a physical venue, a partners, and really trying to build up what's next because I felt like I've already done so much within the corporate world. I've done over 5,000 plus shows. I can probably do this for the next 20 years and make a very good living off of it. But I always ask myself, what if I did something different? What if I wanted, what's the next goal? What is the next big thing? And I feel like the dinner show is within reach, but it's something that would probably take five or 10 years. And I'm always working toward bigger and better things because you just have to make those stretch goals. Yeah. Okay. So Daniel Chan, Thank you so much for joining us today. It has been an honor and in ways I didn't even anticipate, believe me, in education. Thank you, Adam. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.